0: Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Everybody hear me okay? Yeah. All right. It is good to be together, isn't it? It's good to be here in the presence of the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm delighted to be able to share the word with you this morning. This is something that the Lord has been speaking to me about for about four or five years. And it's just kind of been working in me a little bit here, a little bit there. And so I'm just just super excited to be able to share it with you. And I hope that you'll be kind of super excited to hear it. Um, And so I just ask that you prepare your hearts before the Lord. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, whether it's through something that I say or something that he just wants to tell you personally. Just prepare your heart and be ready if you want to take notes, get that out and ready because I believe that the Lord wants to speak to his people this morning. So this morning, we're going to talk about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Amen? Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and do not sell it. And the truth is vital in our life, isn't it? We hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in our court system, don't we, when we swear in a witness? And so we're going to talk a little bit about the courtroom today. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus today. But we need the truth in order to live, in order to survive, in order to make decisions, in order to make progress, in order to overcome obstacles. The truth is vital right? We need, there are simple truths. There are black and white truths that we know for certain, like we need oxygen to breathe. We need food and drink to eat. We need uh, in order to live. We know that Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for me, and he, now I can have eternal life with the Father. That's a black and white truth to me. I know it. I can, I can just state it for certain, right? But then sometimes in our lives, there are um, truths that we're, we're not really certain about. They're just kind of like, we know some of it, we, we think we have an opinion towards it. We're not 100% sure. It's a little foggy. And then there are some truths that we have absolutely no idea. Like, for instance, if I'm standing here, and I just hold up these fingers like this, and I say, I'm holding up a total of two fingers. True or false? True. You can see I'm telling the truth. What happens if I say, I'm holding up a total of two fingers? You can't fully wholeheartedly, 100% say, I'm telling the truth, can you? Because you're not quite sure. What about now? I'm holding up a total of four fingers. True or false? No idea. And that's the issues in our life sometimes. We're not really sure. There are certain things we know and certain things we don't. And Solomon was a seeker of the truth. He became king as a very young man, and his dad, King David, loved the Lord, and the Lord loved David And David was a good ruler of his people. And when it was Solomon's turn, God asked Solomon, what would you like? And Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. He wanted to rule his people with justice. He wanted to be a good king. And that pleased and delighted the heart of the Lord so much that he gave him lots of extra stuff, like all the bonuses along with it. But the Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man on earth, and people came from all other nations to be able to hear him. He knew the importance of knowing truth, of seeking truth, of having the wisdom, because he knew it would be vital for what he needed to do as king in ruling his people. And it's important that we understand where to go for the source of truth. Because we can go to worldly things sometimes, looking for truth, looking for answers for those things that we're not so sure, or we think we develop opinions and we let the world begin to form them for us. But it's vital as believers that we know where to go for the source of our truth. So let's look at that. And once we find the source of our truth, we're gonna talk about six things that we encounter as we encounter the truth, six things that happen to us as we encounter the truth. So the source of truth, first we're going to talk about where not to look. How many of you were here a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Rod shared about knowing your enemy? Right? That was a really good word. If you weren't here and you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Very powerful. Um, Jesus says in John 8, 44, he was a murderer. He's talking about Satan here. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That means that our enemy, Satan, is the source of lies, right? There is absolutely zero truth in him. There is no truth. So when we are looking for truth, here's a clue don't go to Satan. He's going to give you the opposite, okay? And it's important that we establish that. But with the truth, the source of our truth is actually, and you probably already guessed it, Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like for the Star Wars lovers, Mandalorian, he says, This is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, right? And uh, this it kind of it gave me a picture of, uh, let's just say, just. Play along with me for a minute. Let's say I I need strawberry jam desperately, and I see a grocery store. I've never been in there before, but I'm certain they must have strawberry jam because we need it for our toast tomorrow. So I'm in a hurry. I go into the store. I'm looking down all the aisles for strawberry jam. Just briefly, don't see anything, but I do see a man stocking the shelves. I'm like, great, here's my answer. Go to the man. Excuse me, sir, where could I find strawberry jam? Now, in the store that I typically shop in, he would say, oh, that's on aisle seven, and I would go and find my jam. Or maybe if you were in Publix, he might say, oh, follow me. I'll show you where the jam is, right? But in this specific grocery store, the man didn't tell me, and he didn't show me. He unzipped his jacket and reached in, and he pulled out my family's absolute favorite jar of strawberry jam, and he gave it to me. See, because Jesus, he doesn't only tell us the way to go, and he doesn't only show us the way to go. He is the way to go. He is the only way. I wouldn't have found the gem anywhere else because it wasn't on the aisle. It was in him. And it's the same for the truth. Jesus is the source of truth. He not only tells the truth, he does speak truth, and we're going to talk about that. In Matthew alone, there's over 30 references of Jesus saying, I tell you the truth. So Jesus speaks truth. He shows us truth. He's a reflection of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. He shows it to us, but he is Actually, the embodiment of truth, the source of truth is found in Jesus. And it was that way from the beginning. He is the Word. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the Word. The Word is truth. He's been here from the beginning, and everything that has been made has been made through Him. He is the source of truth. Amen? Amen. And He has also sent us the Spirit of truth. John um, Jesus is talking to his disciples in John fourteen fifteen through seventeen. If you love me, keep me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. And then again in John sixteen thirteen. But when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on His own; He will speak only what He hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So we have Jesus as our source of truth. He is the word of truth, and he gives us the spirit of truth. That is where we find truth, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through the words of Jesus. That is truth. So Now that we know the source of truth, I'm going to bring you six things that you encounter with the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Number one, truth brings freedom. John 8, 31 to 32, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Without truth in an area of our lives, we're bound. We're kind of helpless. We're unable to address a situation. We're unable to make progress in a situation. Um, As a mom of little ones, as babies, before they can talk, uh, when something is wrong, of course, they cry. And many times it can be um, helped with just changing a diaper or giving them something to eat. But sometimes there's that cry and you know something isn't right. Something Something is wrong and you want to fix it. You want to help them. But they can't tell you what's wrong. They can't tell you what hurts or what's bothering them. And sometimes it goes on and on and it's like the guessing game, trying to figure it out. And if you only had the truth. If you only had that bit of information, you would rush in and drive them to the doctor's office for their ear infection or you'd put a little bit of infant Tylenol on their gums right in the spot where that tooth is coming in. But if you don't know the truth, you're kind of bound, you're kind of held back and you can't make progress. It's a helpless feeling. And then when they're older and like toddler stage, and now they're talking and they don't stop talking. And, you know, they're playing nicely together and you just scoot off into the other room thinking, I'm just going to unload the dishwasher while they're playing nicely. And you get about three minutes in and then all of a sudden, you come running into the room. What is going on here? And then you hear them crying and yelling at each other back and forth. She hit me. No, I didn't. You pushed me. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Goodness gracious. If I just knew the truth about what happened, I could deal with the situation. I could... We could make progress in this. I could teach you about self control. I could teach you about forgiveness. I could teach you, but I can't teach you anything and we can't move on and I can't bring correct discipline if I don't know what's happening. And so sometimes we as parents bring a distraction instead because we're like, well, if I can't figure out the truth, might as well distract you with something else. But Solomon didn't do that. Solomon was very wise. And the same type of situation happened to him. He had two women that came into the court. And he, they said, this is my baby. No, it's not. This is my baby. No, it's not. Back and forth and back and forth. And I'm sure he felt like, oh, okay, can someone please just bring some order? So he realized that no truth, there, somebody probably was telling the truth and somebody wasn't, but they were holding to their stories. He didn't have the truth, so he couldn't make a just ruling. But in his wisdom, he said, bring me a sword. And when they brought him his sword, he said, this is what we'll do. We'll slice the baby in half. You get one half, you get the other half. Problem solved. And in that moment, the heart of the true mother was gripped with compassion, and she said, no, please, don't hurt the child. Let her have him. Because, of course, the only thing worse than having someone else raise your child would be for your child not to have the opportunity to live. In the moment, Solomon saw the truth. He knew it immediately. And then he was able to make his judgment and ruling. And he said, give her the child. She's the true mother. Right? So it's important for us to know the truth, because the truth helps us to be able to move on to address the situation without distraction. If we were in the courtroom, truth would be like gold. Jedediah brought a word, the truth is gold, all about the full of the word of God. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, it would be good to go back and listen to. But truth is gold in that courtroom, right? If you are on trial for something that you did not commit, I actually, I forgot to do this in the service. I need to tell you before we go any farther. I don't have any... Uh, well, I don't have a law degree, I have not studied law, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, and I haven't even been on jury duty. <laughs> so I've been summoned and I've gone, but they haven't selected me, which was kind of a bummer, because I was excited to learn about it, but I've just watched Matlock before, and I, I, feel like, I feel like I'm kind of qualified, semi-qualified, to talk on the subject of the courtroom. But if you do have experience and you know I'm saying something that's incorrect, please forgive me. That's my disclaimer. But I want you to imagine that you're in the courtroom and you have been accused of doing something that you didn't do. You're actually innocent. And then someone says, we found some evidence. And it's true evidence. Or maybe we found a witness. And it's a truthful witness. What, dog, you'd be so excited because you're going to be set free because this is your moment. This is your opportunity to finally be able to tell the world, I didn't do it. And it would be so exciting, wouldn't it? But what if you actually were guilty? What if the charges that were brought against you were true? And you're a criminal, and you're standing trial. And now you're awaiting your sentencing, and then your defense attorney stands up and says, To the judge may i approach the bench and he comes before the judge and he drags the prosecutor beside him speaks to the judge for a moment and the judge looks up at you and he says you're free to go (coughs) wouldn't that be amazing but quite confusing why (coughs) i'm guilty that's what jesus did for us jesus came and he took our place he took our sentence and the judge says you know what not only can you go but you don't have a criminal record at all. It's completely wiped clean. Go, go and live your life and sin no more, right? We have all been there because the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we all, the wages of sin is death and we all deserve the punishment for our sin, except for that Jesus came in and he said, you know what? I am going to lay down my life I'm going to take that punishment so that you have a way to the Father. He became the way for us. Colossians 2:13 to 15, I love this. Think about the courtroom when you listen to this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Can't you see the judge just, what is that hammer thing called? A a gavel? Like, boom, it is done, right? Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the reason its for freedom, right? So we have been set free. Some of you here today might still be sitting in that place where you feel guilty because you have not met Jesus yet. But Jesus, the good news is Jesus did that for each and every single one of us. And if you are living in bondage today, it's just because you need to take that freedom, take that forgiveness from Christ, give the Lord your life, and uh, and allow him to uh, lead you into that freedom. And there are some of us that have already done that, but there might be areas of our hearts that are bound. If you can't make progress, if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're kind of handcuffed in a situation, just ask the Lord, is your truth really working in my life in this area? Because he wants you free. Number two, truth brings trust. In May, Denise uh, spoke a word on trust. And it was a very powerful word, so I'm not going to speak too long on it because I want you to go back and listen to her word if you didn't get the opportunity to. But we trust those who tell us the truth, don't we? I told a story in the, in the first service about um, when my kids were, some of my kids, not all of them, when they were younger, um, at bedtime, sometimes we'd have a bit of an issue with the whole teeth brushing thing. And as parents, I don't know if you've struggled with that or not, but um, we would say, okay, time for bed. And they'd say, okay, I'm ready did you brush your teeth? Oh, yes, I brushed my teeth. Oh, let me go check your toothbrush. It should be wet. Oh, wait, don't check it yet. Uh, You know what? I just remembered I forgot. I, I didn't brush. And if that happens time and time again, you know, you do the whole smell my breath test, it's not minty, go back. So after a few nights of this, do you trust them that they brush their teeth? No, of course you don't, because they didn't tell you the truth. We trust those that tell us the truth, and I'm here to tell you today that God's word is true and that you can trust him. Jesus is the living word. Psalm 33, verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Psalm 138, 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your names. He is a man of his word. He is faithful to his promises. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. His promises are good and they are true. And if there are any of you here today that feel like uh, you have had words from the Lord, Maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. You've read something in the word that you believe that God is kind of speaking to you through those scriptures. There are promises in the word that you've been holding on to, or maybe you've received a prophetic word. And some of these things, you haven't seen the fulfillment of them yet. Don't lose heart. Don't give up hope because God's word is true and he is faithful. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. For it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that which I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Amen. God's word is true, and it does not return to him void. He is faithful to complete that which he has started. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the whole truth. We've talked about truth, now the whole truth. Sometimes we discover an area of our life that we're having trouble conquering or living in the fullness of because we're living in a half-truth. Kind of like when I held up my fingers and I said, I'm holding up a total of two fingers. You can see partial truth. You know, okay, I know you are holding up two fingers, but is there more? And that's because you couldn't see the whole truth. Um, In the beginning of the year, Pastor Rod spoke on living in the fullness of what Christ has already obtained for us, and he tells the story of the man on the cruise ship who um, had been given a ticket, and he goes on the cruise, but he doesn't have any extra cash, and so he doesn't eat any meals." And he sees all these people coming and they eat meal after meal and snack after snack and they're just always eating and he's so desperately hungry. By the time the trip ends and he gets off the boat, he says something to someone. He says, what do you mean you didn't eat? That was included in your ticket. You could have had as much as you wanted. It was already paid for. And sometimes that's a reflection of our life. Sometimes we're struggling with things and we will all struggle with things at times. But sometimes We are battling and struggling or we feel like we are under this heavy thing and we actually don't have to be because God has already provided for us and the answer is already there, but we might just be living with only part of the truth and the Lord wants us to have all of it, every single part of it. The enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy and one way he does that is by twisting or hiding or distorting the truth. He, of course, is not the source of truth and cannot create truth, but he'll, he knows the word, and he'll take that truth, like with Jesus in the desert, and he'll twist it or distort it or only use part of it and make you think, well, is this God? So we need to live in the full truth, which brings us to number three. Truth transforms. There's a transformation process in our minds. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. We are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. Just that very thing right there we could talk about for the rest of the day. We're not going to, we're just going to go through it quickly. But when we talk about transformation, it's important that we understand about spirit, soul, and body. So I'm going to challenge myself and say, Can I do it in three minutes? Here we go. You are spirit, and that spirit is, is the reflection of God, it's the image of God, and it is awakened, it is reborn when you say yes to Jesus, when you give your life to Him, and it is hungry for the things of God, right? But your soul, your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions, your think tank your mind, your decision-making, your will, and your emotions. Of course, that's what you feel. Fear, anxiety, happiness and joy, excitement, those are your emotions. Now, sometimes when we hear people talk about the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, um, sometimes we might feel like the soul is fleshly, that it maybe is worldly, that maybe we have to conquer the soul. But I'm here to tell you today that when God created Adam, he created him spirit, soul, and body, and he looked at him and he said, it is good. And I believe that God loves the soul. I believe that your mind, your will, and your emotions were created by God. The only problem is this. This is where the difficulty comes in. When you, are re- when you give your heart to the Lord, and your spirit is reborn, renewed, and alive, and, and, and you're feeding it the word of God, right? It, it's growing, but it starts out a bit kind of small, right? Because it's new and it's fresh. The things that you're learning, those truths, they're fresh and new to you. But your mind and your decision-making and your emotions, they've been growing since the day you were born, right? So they are however many years older than that spirit man that's just learning these new things. And so they have had the opportunity to learn the ways and the mannerisms and the context of the things of this world, right? The reactions of anger or this or that, to feel anxious and anxiety here or this or that. And so then we see that actually the perfect will of the Lord is that our soul would align with the Spirit, that our thinking, that our decisions, our choices, and that our emotions would just be aligned with the Word of God, led by the Spirit. And so what we need to do is find ourselves abiding in His truth, right? We need to be reading the Word because as we do that, the Lord now, the Lord does this. We can't do it ourselves, but he brings transformation, and he renews our mind, right? Okay, we're going to move on from that. I didn't quite make the three minutes. Second Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your truth, your word is true. Okay, number four, truth equips. This one's going to be fun, so hope you're awake and ready for this. Second Peter 1:3. 1, one of my most favorite scriptures. His divine power has given us everything we need. Say everything. everything. Say everything. everything. For life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It means we've already got it, guys. We've got Jesus. We've got everything we need. When we are equipped with the whole truth, we are prepared to overcome the enemy and bring good news to those around us. Galatians 6.10 talks about the armor of God. It talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, um, uh, the devil's schemes, Right? And, um, and he tells us to put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the Lord gave me a picture with this. And it's not a deep theological study on the armor of God. It's just a picture to help us think this through. So the belt of truth, he showed me, it's like a tool belt. Like a tool belt of truth. And the Lord has packed that thing heavy. I mean, his... His burden, is his yoke is not heavy, but it is full is what I mean. It's fully equipped. You could be given any project, any job, and you would be able to do it because your tool belt has everything you need, right? The problem comes in when we don't understand how to use our tools, right? It's kind of like um, Ariel, the Disney movie, um, Little Mermaid, and she's under the sea and she's got the fork and the hairbrush and the thingamabob, and the, but she has no clue what it's used for because she's not from around those parts, right? So it's not helpful to her at all, and sometimes we ha- we can have a full tool belt because the Bible says He's given us everything, but we're not really sure how to use these tools. I'm going to give you an example of a half truth just so that you can bring it into perspective, and I'm going to do that pretty quickly. So, G- um, Jesus, oh, almost, Jason, my husband. <laughs> Jason. <I'm- laughs> A number of months ago, Jason spoke a message on grace, and I don't know how many of you remember that, but um, it was such a good message, and sometimes we live with a half-truth understanding of grace, so I'm going to give you what that looks like. So some people might feel like grace, the word grace is a substitute for forgiveness, Oh, but um, but grace is there, so I'm okay when I make mistakes. Or maybe um, grace is love. Grace covers a multitude of sins, but the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. So some people might think um, grace is the unmerited favor of God, which it is. And grace is um, us getting what we don't deserve, which it is. But sometimes with just that understanding of grace, we can feel like, so if I don't quite make it, I'm good because... Grace covers me, it's that greasy grace, right? But if we understand the full measure of what God's grace is there for, it can totally change our perspective. Paul talks about grace as the enabling power of God because Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, right? And so he's raising the bar and raising the standard. He said, if you um, commit adultery, right? He said, then you're guilty of sin. But then he said, that's what the law says. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman, it's within. It's an internal thing. So he changed it from if you actually act on something, then you're guilty. Now I'm telling you, I'm raising the standard to the, um, the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart, your mind. What is going on inside of you? God looks at the heart. And only he can see that, and only he can do that, right? So he said, I'm going to actually raise the standard. Now that standard is quite high, and there's no way on our own that we can actually reach that. And so do you know what God did? He gives us his grace. Paul says your grace is sufficient. And Grace is that enabling power that helps us to go to that next level. It helps us to do what God has actually called for us to do. It's not there to wipe over and wash away. It's like using a magic eraser to try to, in our tool belt to try to do the project. God says, stop using the magic eraser and pull out the power drill because I have given you power to do what I've called you to do. Stop living under greasy grace and take my enabling power to push you into everything that I have equipped you for. So we need, to, we need to just evaluate different things in our life and say, Lord, are there any areas in my life that are half-truths? Any areas that I don't have? And will you just show me by your word? Will you, will you show me by your truth what you have given me so that I can conquer the devil on the level that he's on and use him as a footstool to get to the next level? Okay, now we talk about nothing but the truth. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. It doesn't make sense. Okay, nothing but the truth. As a church, we have been talking about reaching out from a position of strength, right? And as we experience freedom and trust, the transformation, the equipping that comes from knowing the truth, Jesus calls us to reach out. Jesus calls us to be his witnesses. Number five, truth testifies. Acts 1 verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A witness gives a truthful account of what they have seen or heard or experienced, right? So here we go into the courtroom. My Matlock skills are coming out here. Okay. John 15:26 says when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father he will testify about me and you also must testify about me for you have seen me and been with me from the beginning a credible witness in the courtroom there's not much more valuable than that right that's why there's witness protection there's it's very important to have a credible witness According to some of the research that I did in about five minutes, I found out that a credible witness is a witness who comes across as um, competent and worthy of belief. Their testimony is assumed to be more than likely true due to their experience, knowledge, training, and sense of honesty. The judge and jurors will use these factors to determine whether they believe the witness is credible. And an attorney can show jurors that a witness is not credible by showing inconsistent statements or a reputation for untruthfulness. And there are other things as well, but we're just going to look at this today. I'm, I'm just zoning in for a minute because the Lord kind of zoned in on my heart in this area. So I'm, I want to share this with you, and it's certainly not to bring any condemnation. It's just to share a little bit about our responsibility as witnesses. And if any of this speaks to you, just put it before the Lord. There's no condemnation, right? Just allow the Lord to work in your heart. Proverbs 12, 17 to 19, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And Proverbs 12:22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in the people that are trustworthy. I have to ask myself, am I a credible witness on the stand for Christ in front of these jurors? <clears throat> the people that are around us in our life are like the jurors. And one thing I read, and I don't know if it's completely true, but it's the jurors that make the decision as to whether they believe that the witness is credible, And so we're not going to disqualify ourselves for Jesus because Jesus paid that price for us. Once and for all, it is finished, right? doesn't mean that we don't need to come to him and repent for things when he exposes in our heart areas, and we just need to bring that to the Lord. His forgiveness is there. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect, but we can strive for excellence in Christ, right? But for those that are watching us, We need to be a credible witness so that when we testify the truth of Jesus, they can trust us. Because we, remember, we trust those who tell us the truth. I used to be a good storyteller. And from the time I was quite young, and I remember I had um, a really good friend, one of my best friends. And we were very close in age. We did almost everything together. But she was a very factual person, very factual so she knew all kinds of crazy, weird facts, and she would just state everything just as it is. And sometimes I would be like, that's so boring. And so if we would go do something together, and then we'd come back to her house, and we'd tell her parents about it, I'd be like, no, 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 let me tell the story. And then I would just launch out into this beautiful story, and probably most of it was somewhat accurate, but you have to kind of fluff it up, and they were rolling, I'd have them rolling and laughing, and I just loved telling stories. And if she told the story, it would last probably two minutes and be quite boring. (laughs) One day, one day, I was talking to her, my friend, and I was explaining something, and I had gotten carried away, and I said, oh, it wasn't exactly like that, but you know, it's for the story. And she said something to me. She said, I know, Sarah, you've always been a really good storyteller. And in the moment, I didn't let her see it, but it hurt my feelings. I was like, oh me i'm not boring like you and the lord brought me back to that moment about five years ago and he said i am calling you to testify for me but you need to be a credible witness what your friend was saying to you was yes i've learned not to take you at your word and that is something that we have to evaluate in our own lives um There are four things, well, there are many things that we could look at when we talk about areas of the tongue, and you can learn a lot about that in James or in Proverbs. There's anger, there's gossip, there's speaking life or death, there's manipulation. Actually, the word says that manipulation is as witchcraft to the Lord. That's how much he detests it. But we're not going to talk about those things. We're going to talk about four areas that will discredit us as a witness. And I think I might have gotten the slide wrong. The first one is supposed to say imitations, not limitations. Imitations, imaginations, exaggerations, and Lumiere promises. We're going to touch on those real quick. Imitations, guys, be who you are. Jesus created you. The Father created you with you in mind. He knew just what he wanted you to do, who he was calling you to be, the gifts he was giving you. You don't have to try to be someone else because you think that they are more successful or they're a better preacher or they're more hospitable or they're more peaceful. Or that they... You don't have to imitate anybody. You be who God called you to be because that is the most beautiful thing that you could be. Anytime you imitate, it will be fake, right? And people can kind of see through that at times. And we need to be who God called us to be, right? Appreciate those around us, but know what the Lord says about me. Imaginations. Have you ever heard a little kid telling you their dream from last night? That sometimes happens. Um, And I've heard over the years, and my brother used to do this too. Sorry, Peter, if you're listening. But um, he would start out and tell, like, an accurate, you know, so... You know, for example, I was in the woods, and it was really weird because this soccer ball came kicking out of the bush, and then, then you see in their eyes, they get really excited, and they're like, "Yeah." And then this monster came out, and then and I took my nerf gun, and, and all of a sudden they're building up this big story, and you think, "Wait, I think it started as a dream, but somewhere the imagination's kicked in, right? And sometimes that happens to us, is we can be talking to somebody, and we can be telling them something that is true, but to kind of sway things our way or to make them more comfortable, we can add to it things that maybe aren't exactly factual, right? And people find out. Um, and, and it's not with bad intentions, it just happens. Exaggerations, same story. We can make things bigger, we can make things seem more desperate, more horrible, more wonderful than they really were in the moment. But I want to ask you what happens when then you go to testify about what Christ did for you last week. If you are known as someone like I was, that tells a good story, will they believe what you tell them about Christ? So we have to be people of our word. The last one is Lumiere Promises. Lumiere was the candlestick on Beauty and the Beast. And his good friend, Clocksworth, was a clock. They were having a discussion about giving a big dinner to Belle, and Lumiere wanted to, and Clocksworth didn't, and he addressed him and said, are you giving her promises that you don't intend to keep? And that's a Lumiere promise in our house. That is when you say something to make someone happy, to appease them in the moment, but you actually have no intention of follow through. And we do that sometimes all the time. It's just lighthearted, like, yeah, sure, uh I'll be there in five minutes. Well, I'm going to stop by the gas station. You know? Or... Or whatever, And sometimes if it becomes a habit, then people learn to actually not trust us when we say something, right? When we make these promises. And God is a God of his word, and he keeps his promises. And every word that comes from his mouth is true, and we can trust him. But the enemy is the source of untruth. He lies, and every promise he makes, he never keeps. So we have to just kind of evaluate ourselves sober-mindedly and say, which one do I reflect? I want to be someone of my word so that the Lord can use me as a credible witness on the stand to testify of who he is. Okay, sorry guys. I hope that one didn't sting too much. It hit me first and pretty hard. So I just wanted to share the wealth. Okay, number six, truth overcomes. Here we go. We're going to get excited here. Revelations 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Guys, when we testify of the goodness of God, the devil squirms in his boots. He can't stand it and we overcome. I want to share with you a quick testimony that I have, and that is that for many years, I believed a lie. Some of you might be believing different lies, maybe not even realizing that it's a lie, but you might be suffering from something that is fighting who you really are, who God really made you, and it's keeping you in bondage. For many years, I believed that I was supposed to be silent. I believed that people would not like me if I opened my mouth. And someone said to me one time that they just, it was a time that I was leading something and they said, you know what? I just, I'm sorry. I'm trying to work through this, but I just don't like you. Just just being honest. I just don't like you. Oh, that is all Satan needed or he probably, that is all I needed to just live under that lie for probably a good couple of years, at least. And, of course, I would talk. I would talk to you if I saw you at the grocery store or whatever. But when it came time to speak what the Lord had put in my heart, I was silent because I lived under a lie that nobody would like me. So I was shut up. But then the Lord began to do a work in my heart, and he began to speak to me through his truth. Isaiah 61 The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When you live in the fullness of the truth of who you are, of who God says you are, you display the splendor of God. Isn't that beautiful? He gets the glory when you live in the full truth of who he's called you to be. When we are equipped with the truth, ready to be his witnesses, we scare the enemy like crazy. And he will do his best to bring doubt and fear by reminding us of our weaknesses, of our mistakes, and of our past. But I want to read the scripture to you in Romans, and I want you to think about the courtroom. And that prosecutor that stands against you as the accuser, and he's just badgering you and telling you why you're not good enough why you're a failure, why you will never succeed. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God, it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Amen? Jesus wants you to live in the fullness of the truth even more than you do. And he is interceding for you. In all things, we are more than conquerors. So when the accuser comes to remind you of your past, what do you do? Remind him of his future right? Will you be courageous enough to take the stand? Will you be courageous enough to be a witness? Will you be courageous enough to testify of the truth of who God is? Thank you.